Hello and welcome to Farmerama. This month, we invite you to join us as we take a dip into some of the key sessions at the recent Global Oxford Real Farming Conference, where Farmerama were official media partners again this year. Nemo Bassi is director of the Health of Mother Earth Foundation. He set the scene for this year's conference at the start of the opening session. Uh, so, on the whole, food sovereignty is the key to the future on the continent. And this is what the majority of the farmers are fighting for, is what they practice. They practice agroecology, they're working with nature, they're using local inputs. Uh, they, they, they understand that food is not just a thing for eating, but a thing for celebration, that food is life. The story of food is being lost by the uniform production of commodified food products that are only available in the supermarket rather than in the community. And, and I would like to conclude by saying that this system has eaten so deep and must be fought against very vigorously. And I believe that the real food conference is an excellent platform for sharing ideas and tools on how to confront a situation where agriculture is about finance rather, rather than about culture, rather about food, about social life, about people's spirituality. Uh, it, this is things, uh, these are things that we need to, uh, to fight against together. This is what the continent is, farmers on the continent are confronting. Uh, we just want to see, uh, to halt the loss of complexity and meaning in food systems uh, because agriculture is life and food is a celebration. I don't even think the dust has settled. There is so much, there's so much content. There's so much inspiration to draw from this year. And I literally have been inspired by a lot of the sessions that focused on equity and justice and human rights, but also the sessions that were on Earth jurisprudence, on Earth rights, on nature rights, on indigenous knowledge. Dee Woods of Granville Community Kitchen and the Lamb Workers Alliance. You'll be hearing from Dee again as she shares thoughts and reflections on a few key sessions, along with Kimberly Bell, creator of Small Food Bakery. For the first time, the conference was all online, and whilst it was sad not to be together in person, a whole world of new opportunity opened up. We loved hearing from producers in over 70 countries, from China to the Ivory Coast. It really was incredible. There are so many amazing talks, um, and we're only able to touch on four highlights in this episode, but we're excited to say that all talks are available on the ORFC YouTube channel, so you can go and watch as many as you like. And Farmerama also did daily briefings throughout the conference, which are on our Instagram TV channel, if you want further pointers of what to watch. 
One of the main themes at this year's conference was how many of us relate to the earth as if we have dominion over it, not that we are part of it, and how fundamentally that puts us in an extractive mindset. We heard how this is embedded in legal systems, in language, in economics, in farming, and so much more. And people from all over the world share different ways of understanding this relationship and how that translates into our food system. Within Māori cosmology, the river is central to the existence of the Māori. They treat it as their ancestor, as you genuinely think of them being descended from the river. And so uh, they have the saying that, it's a, the saying ko au te awa, ko te awa ko au, the transliteral, uh, I guess the transliteration, the literal meaning, I am the river and the river is me. But of course, words don't just mean their literal meaning. They really get at the fact that the health and the well-being of the river is intrinsically connected with the health and well-being of the people themselves. And so the people are inseparable from the river. If they're not healthy, um, no, if, they, if the river's not healthy, they're not healthy and vice versa. That was Catherine Irons Magallanes, Professor of Law at Victoria University of Wellington, Aotearoa, New Zealand. This session was called We Are the River, and Catherine explained how in some cases the Crown, or settler state, and particular indigenous tribes have found a way to hopefully move forward together after many years of conflict and oppression by the Crown. It started with the Huanganui River, and also includes Te Uruwera rainforest. Both have been given legal personhood, which means in both the eyes of the Maori tribes and the eyes of the crown, the river is not owned by anyone. The river owns herself, with all the rights and responsibilities of a person. Not only that, but the river has rights in line with Maori wisdom. The statute states that Te Awa Tupua comprises the river as an indivisible and living whole, from the mountains to the sea, incorporating its tributaries and all its physical and metaphysical elements. So all of the land that is uh, that is makes up uh, Te Uruwera establishment land has been vested within Te Uruwera herself, and um, no human owns her, right? And then there's a board that's been appointed to speak on her behalf, which is also distinct from the Whanganui River example that, um, that Kathy shared. So the board that has been appointed has nine people. Six of them are from Tuhoi, uh, from our iwi, our tribe, and three of them are from the Crown. We think of law as relationships. So how do we relate to each other? And how do we relate to the whenua, to the land? So um, it's a worldview. We need to understand that this Western perspective that is globalized and taken over through colonization is just one worldview and alongside very many others, including a Tuhoi worldview. So from a, a Western colonial uh, legal system worldview, the land is something we relate to each other as owners or shareholders of a land, and we relate to the land as a resource which we manage, that we own. 
Okay, from a Tuhoi perspective, ownership of land is arrogant. And I purposely use that word as a provocative word. It is arrogant. It is a superiority complex as a human to feel like an owner of the land. And that is because we are, we are from the land. The land was here long before we were. She is our mother, Apapatuanuku, and we are her children. And so legal personhood is is a wonderful tool that we're able to use within our Western legal system, which is our dominant legal system here in Aotearoa, to introduce and be able to legislate for our perspective. Because in that, we have legislation that says, no, the land owns herself, and we are simply caretakers. So instead of being owners of the land, we have responsibilities to the land. Coming from the Caribbean, um, and being a displaced African, a, a, as it were, um, but being of mixed heritage and having sort of indigenous ancestry as well, it felt so important that, that we are doing this, that we are protecting our earth because we're part of the earth. Um, the earth is our mother. Vandana Shiva says, you know, the earth is our relative and that session just brought it home for me one of our biggest issues is a is our imagination yes. we've been limited by this colonization and imposition of a, of a colonial legal system has limited our ability to actually see how else we can relate to the whenua to the land so when it comes to ownership and private property and we think, oh, there's all these limitations, there's enforceable laws, we need to remember that's just one worldview. And we need to remember, look back at our history. How did that worldview form? It's actually grounded in, in violence. It's grounded in uh, Roman colonization of Europe and the spread of that, the doctrine of discovery. If we can realize that that is just one way and we have our ability to re, uh, remember how we relate to the earth. And instead of owning the rights or, or uh, feeling this sort of superiority where we can just take and take and take, we're actually recognizing in our actions and our practice how to relate. We have extracted so much from the earth that we are now risking our survival as a species. You know, where did that come from? Understanding all of the different uh, so the doctrine of discovery, even the witch hunts for 400 years of really annihilating the European indigenous and pagan rituals of connection with the land and how that translated into colonization of, of our lands um, and Turtle Island and all these places. So I think the more we can talk and have these conversations as we are, the more we're going to actually realize that our bodies and our wairua, our spirits and our our way is connected with the earth and our joy is actually connected with the earth and as we start to build that intimacy in our relationship again it's not just a maori worldview i think these perspectives are, are universal actually and i think that's a lot of what this conference is covering is um, is recognition of these these relationships and the need to return to this more slower world of connection and of love between the human and and the whenua um, and stop the superiority complex of extraction and resources. I've always been a little perplexed by the way friends in New Zealand moved seamlessly between Maori and English words. It felt jarring to me. 
However, one of the things I took from the conference was that the diversity of languages is a vital part of the biodiversity of our future. As Rebecca Hosking highlighted in her session, Sharing the Land with All Life, many indigenous peoples don't have a word for nature. It's the mother or the home. There is no concept that they are separate from the natural world. As we can see in this legal statute, many of the Maori concepts are very difficult to define in English, but fit perfectly in just three Maori words. Embracing Maori language seems to be part of opening up to another worldview, one of the many, as Erin pointed out. The New Economics Foundation and Growing Communities, a London-based CSA, have worked together to understand the community benefits of localized routes to market and local organic food. Their work is interesting because it tries to explain this in financial terms. How much value goes to the eater, the farmer, the earth? In the session, they shared lots of detail about how they structured their economic evaluation. And here, Christian Jacarini, a senior consultant at the New Economics Foundation, summarizes the key findings. And then Kimberly explains why she thought this was such an important piece of work. Uh, grow, we find that growing communities is a highly efficient method of food distribution. We also find that it's primarily a social intervention, um, but it's also an environmental one. So uh, the vast majority of benefit accrues to consumers and their households, and they receive an estimated 87% of total benefits. And then for every pound spent, they receive £3.46 of the economic and social value generated as a result, with the environment being the next biggest beneficiary receiving 32 pence. Another conclusion really is that by utilizing these short supply chains and by working in partnership with farmers, growing communities is able to redistribute economic power to farmers, providing them with the financial security to generate considerable social value for themselves and even, and even greater benefits for the environment. So as Julie said at the off, it's by empowering farmers, by supporting them, that we're able to see generate these environmental externalities, which benefit all of us ultimately. And then this is all achieved while offering consumers a product that we estimate returns them an additional two pounds forty six for every pound they spend. It's a it's a vote of confidence uh, in growing communities overall. A couple of years ago, the Sustainable Food Trust published this amazing study that they'd undertaken called the true cost of food um, which I thought was quite revelatory the headline simply being that for every one pound we spent on food in the UK they there was another one pound that they'd identified as hidden costs um, and this study is often referred to as a way of making a point but I've been curious to watch people's response to it and people often look a bit blank or glazed over and not quite as excited as I think they should be. And I think the truth is that people really respond to positive news more than negative news, and that's why I was really excited about this session around the Growing Communities Network and Julie and Christian's work to try to put a value on it through some through a series of economic study. The difference being that they're looking at value and not cost, and that's the sort of 
you know, a benefit to people and it's the more positive story. I'm often quite sceptical about um, complex systems of metrics for measuring food systems. I wonder when we start to create these complex measurements, whether it's actually quite disempowering and really removes us from the point of just having person-to-person social exchange. And I just love the the visual that it gave me was, or that it brought to mind, was just thinking about the big food system and about how there are many people shopping in the system and, and gleaning their food from it. And all the value from those many is just really going up vertically into an ever narrowing system and all of the wealth is ending up at the top and there was something quite poetic about this session just sort of illustrating that in their system the customer was actually getting most of the value they were looking at social impact things like um, how they asked their customers through receiving the veg box instead of going to the supermarket how much extra time do they get to spend with their children? And things like that often go unrecorded or unnoticed um, in when comparing localised food systems to big corporate ones. Every patch of earth unencumbered by concrete where soil and atmosphere meet is a portal to presence, a terrain of remembrance, a vote for survival and an unpromised future. These gardens are blueprints of interdependent destiny, intergenerational memory, saving seeds for food as remedy. See, my people know what it's like to eat and still be starving. So we turn in hardship into harvest, lawns and schoolyards into gardens, homegrown bounty in our palms. We come from soil as stardust. And so we conjure, giving props to hood magicians who grow provisions for our kitchens. We smuggle spinach into prisons, transform the places that we live in. Trade psychosis for symbiosis and stay focused. We sprout sunflowers that towel our neighborhood blocks, harvest raindrops on rooftops to water our crops, propagate plant medicine for the metropolis, guarding our plots because our gardens are not for profit or loss. Cross-pollinate the promise, fam. We got this. Take a deep breath. Restore calmness. With lemon balm, bounty in our palms, hot peppers in our pockets, black-eyed peas spiraling up Lenape blue corn stalks with buttercup squash carpets, three sisters symbiotic, talking stories of solidarity on native territory. Migratory monarchs transcend borders, morning glories ascend fences, pay attention to the lessons mother nature keeps expressing how to multiply our blessings. For justice and sustenance amid glaring disparity, every seed saved will set us free. In an age of opulence and scarcity, every seed saved will set us free. In a time of intensifying violence and climate calamity, every seed saved will set us free. Hold on tight to the source. We have all that we need. Thanks to Naima Penniman for her beautiful poem from her session, These Gardens Are Blueprints, Sowing the Seeds of Food Justice. Definitely recommend tuning into the whole session. There are more poems. 
Dee Woods hosted a session called Food Justice, Not Food Aid. One of the speakers was Stephanie Swanepoel, Cooperative Manager at Ocean View Organics, a cause gangsters initiative based in Ocean View, Cape Town, a deprived area of the city. Ocean View Organics is a cooperative run by five local women. They have a bakery, cafe, and produce local organic food for the community. So for me, I mean, food justice means, one, the right to, to access food, to have food, but also to be able to choose the food that you want to eat and to be able to cook it in the way that you want to cook it and to be able to eat with your family and feed them properly. And that means having access to productive resources. So that means that we all, we all should have the right to productive land, water. Obviously, we can't all own farms. Um, but we should all be able to reclaim the commons, if that makes sense. So I think that there needs to be a big shift towards, towards that kind of thinking. And also food justice for me is about re-establishing people's agency. Because food aid, as David was saying, strips people of their agency to make decisions in their life. And, and our food system currently is very much like that. You know, it's 60% more expensive to eat healthy. You go into a supermarket, they've already determined, you know, what's in the food, how it's processed. Um, we have very little choice. We might think we have choice because we're seeing seven different kinds of mayonnaise, for example. Um, but it's exactly the same kind of mayonnaise. It's exactly the same kind of processed thing. So I think for me, food justice rests a lot around our supporting and bolstering our agency and our right to choose. Well, sort of fighting all those powers that be, but at the same time, co-creating within our communities and with nature to build the systems that we want. And that's what I'm taking forward. You know, that we have to be building what we want in the here and now. We need to make that vision a reality. Communities that are really up against it, that they can be creating so much that impacts on people's life. And food is life. Good food is life. And I'm so proud to be part of that universal family that is protecting the earth, that is protecting seed, that is protecting legacy, um, as well as creating the food systems that we want to see. To finish, we wanted to share one of the final sessions at the conference called Indigenous Farming and Land Stewardship on Turtle Island. It was a powerful way to end, and as with all of the talks featured, we definitely recommend you tune in. Here is a short excerpt from Rowan White, an indigenous seed keeper and leader with the Native American Food Sovereignty Alliance. How can we cultivate, as indigenous peoples, the ancestral brilliance that we bring? My ancestors, you know, in, you know, on the record in at the beginning of, you know, this idea of America, you know, during the Revolutionary War, General Sullivan, upon orders of George Washington, was ordered to burn down cornfields in western New York. And it was said on those papers that the, that they burned over a million bushels of corn. And that is pre-industrial. That is 
the brilliance of my ancestors using people power, using their incredible innovation to grow mass amounts of food for the people, the people as beneficiaries, the land as beneficiaries, all of our relations as beneficiaries. And so I think the question of the hour now that we're in, you know, we want to talk about climate chaos and we want to talk about you know, late stage capitalism and the, the, the failings of, of, of that and all of the incredible blowback that we're feeling now. How can we cultivate an economy, a regenerative, truly regenerative economy that's a reflection of our indigenous values? And it's possible, right? It's very possible. It's very possible to build an economy that is rooted in abundance and not scarcity. And who are the people that have the blood memory to be able to in, conjure that up and create it and cultivate it in ways that create the future that our descendants deserve. And it is our responsibility now, as you know, with our ancestors behind us in this long lineage of people, it is our responsibility to show up now and to honor them and honor their legacy and honor all of the atrocities that they endured to ensure that their ancestral brilliance finds a new form today. And so that's a question that, you know, I ask you as folks who are listening is thinking about is tending that possibility of what that economy of abundance and an indigenous economy can look like again and be thinking about who are the beneficiaries of our work. Because we're living in an era of Anthropocene. We're living in an era where you know humans are so centered, but we know that our ancestors um, had ways of working in right relationship with all of our all of our relations. And so how are we bringing that together in new forms? We're gonna bring the ancestor brilliance forward, but we're also gonna combine it with new innovation. Um, and all of the black indigenous and bodies of culture, we have incredible visions um, that need to be nourished in the regenerative ag system. And it's time for white folks to pass the mic. It's time for white folks to resource us and to um, get us at the tables. There's also other beings at that table, seen and unseen, that must be there in order for us to really cultivate the future of food um, that isn't just a crisis of culture. Um, and so I implore all of you who are listening to remember that somewhere back in your lineage, there was cultural sanity when it came to um, relational food landscapes. And so how are we bringing forth all of our ancestral brilliance? For me, they Turtle Island session was a really powerful end to the conference, which overall was a real, a re-education, I suppose, for me. Um, and this was a lovely, poignant, hard-hitting session with um, three speakers who were very direct and very articulate. And I think it was sort of philosophically a great reminder of what's important, even just the way the session was framed by the moderator, um, we were reminded to sort of shut up and listen, really, and the, and the session was a circle of conversation. I loved how each of the speakers responded to each other. I think it was just a, a poignant reminder of why we all need a seat at the table and why everybody needs to listen to everybody else. I think as a group or as an entire conference, there we're trying to tackle a lot of very complex issues and there is still a tendency to try to over-design really complex top-down systems to solve some of our problems and for me this session just brought it back to what's real which is people sharing stories and people talking about how they feel 
um, and sharing their views and offering up a diversity of meaningful solutions that are specific to the place where they are and the people who they live among, we can take away from that the importance of a sense of place and the importance of empowerment of individuals within a community, but also the community um, within a place in terms of being able to tackle some of these complex problems. I think there was, uh, Rowan White delivered some amazing <laughs> soundbite by incredibly articulate. Um, I think the most important thing that she said in summary was, what does a culture of belonging in our food system look like? And I think that's a brilliant lens through which we can reflect back on the whole conference and maybe assess for ourselves the solutions that are proposed and the opinions that are offered and whether or not they are empowering and whether or not they include everybody and whether or not they let people feel part of their own food network and food system. By the end of the conference, it was clear that there is a global movement of people connecting with the land, the soils, and all living beings. Whether people call that their relationship with Mother Earth, agroecology, regenerative agriculture, we all have a lot to share and learn from each other. It's going to take great acts of healing and paradigm shifts in mindset to tune into our collective ancestral brilliance. And ORFC Global showed we are already on the journey. This episode of Farmerama was made by me, Abby Rose, with Joe Barrett and Olivia Oldham. Thanks to the ORFC Global team for bringing together all of these brilliant talks. Our Patreon supporters help make Farmerama possible. We're very grateful to all of you who support us and allow us to bring you these stories every month. Even the smallest contribution makes a big difference to us. If you'd like to become a supporter, visit patreon.com forward slash farmerama. Thanks as ever to the rest of the Farmerama team, Katie Revel, Olivia Oldham, Fran Bailey, Annie Landless, Eliza Jenkins, and Hannah Söderland. Our theme music is by Owen Barrett.